Selah. You learned something, didn't you, already? We could just go home and you learned something. But don't. I got some things to say. Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. And we're, we trust that your uh, Christmas season is rooted properly and focused properly. It's good to be together. Take a moment to fill out a connection card in your bulletin. Put it in the basket when it's passed later. We appreciate your help in that regard. If you have a phone app, remember, you can just check in on your phone app, too. We, we love to know you're here. If you're new to us, we're especially glad to have you and hope you come back uh, to uh, get acquainted with us and we can get acquainted with you as well. We're here to uh, love the Lord together. As you plan Christmas, remember that on Christmas Day and New Year's Day, we have two worship services that day at 9.30 and 11. Wouldn't it be cool for all the kids to come in their pajamas that morning? I might wear my pajamas. Who knows? Uh, but, but anyway, uh, uh, do, do come that day. We'll be in the sanctuary, and it'll be a little abbreviated service. We know kids are going to be in the audience, so it'll be a good family worship and a great way to teach our kids just the, uh, what, what Christmas, why Christmas. And so I just want to encourage you to come be with us, and uh, we'll have a good morning together. New Year's Day, we'll have two services also, and we're going to make them more of a prayer service, and the kids will be in there, and we're aware of that, and we'll include them as well. And in preparation for the New Year, starting at noon on on uh, New Year's Eve, uh, we'll start praying into the new year, and we'll, we'll, we'll pray right up until worship begins at 9.30 on Sunday morning. So uh, there are sign-up sheets in the uh, hub. I think you can do that online as well. Uh, sign up for a half-hour slot. You come to the sanctuary and pray with other people, and we'll do that all night long until worship starts in the morning. It'll be a great way to begin our new year, praying for our lives and for our church life, for the world, and all that God puts on our hearts. So keep that in mind in your holiday planning this year. Open your Bibles to Isaiah the prophet, chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. I suppose by now you've got your Christmas tree up. Most people do. Well, it's only the fourth. I guess some of you don't. Uh, many of us do. Some of you started before Thanksgiving, which highly offends me. But if you needed to do that, that's okay. Uh, we put ours up Tuesday night. It looked perfect. It's probably the most beautiful tree we've ever picked out and to have. Yesterday morning, it was flat on its side in the living room. So we sort of started all over. And what happened, I don't know. It was probably her fault, more than likely, but that's just the way it goes. And anyway, uh, here we are. Now, Greg Howe bought an interesting tree and put it up in his house. It was a 30-foot tree, and he has a two-story house. And he cut the tree into thirds, and he put the lower third in his living room with his 10-foot branches, uh, the second, one, second part in the upstairs spare bedroom, and the third part just goes right through the roof, giving it this optical illusion that the tree is growing right through his house. You know, I love it. Now, the tree that we're going to read about in our text today is not an optical illusion. It was a real tree, but a, real, a tree that's symbolic of the true one whose birth we celebrate. Here's the text, Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. 
and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the prophet's words. And I pray, Father, that as we deliberate upon his words and as we try to put the pieces together, that will emerge, Father, a little healthier, better, wiser because of the word you have to us. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In the previous chapters, before chapter 11 in Isaiah, uh, God had made it clear that he was going to tear down some trees, destroy some trees, the trees of Assyria and the trees of, of Israel. Of the Assyrian kingdom, he said this, See, the Lord, the Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. Of Israel, the prophet wrote these words. So the Lord will cut off from Israel both head and tail, both palm branch and reed in a single day. Surely wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It sets the forest thickets ablaze so that it rolls upward in a column of smoke. Isaiah's prophecy has much to do with the coming of the Messiah into the world. And these four weeks, we are preparing for a great Christmas celebration by looking at the words of the prophet as he addresses our deepest needs. Like an axe, God was going to sweep through the nation of Assyria he was going to sweep through even his own people, Israel, because of their rebellion, because of their ignoring of God's commands. Israel's leadership were hypocritical, weak. They were stubborn. They weren't paying attention to God or acting like his people at all. The Assyrian people were wreaking havoc on the land before that day, and the Assyrians were conquering the known world, as later Alexander the Great would do. And God would also bring destruction to them. And so like an axe, he would move through the force of their power and their pride and cut them down. Then in the devastation that's left, out of that, a shoot would come up out of one of the stumps, representing a new tree. Verse 1 of our text simply says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. God's plan was full of hope for people who needed encouragement. I dare say that most of us, at any time of our lives, are yearning for something. We are hoping for something. We are longing for something more that's not fitting quite right in life today. Our prayers note them. What we think about, uh, we deliberate upon, we perseverate on, through and through. But this particular hope that we need supersedes all the other kinds of hopes that we have. 
A Harvard professor by the name of Daniel Gilbert wrote a book called Stumbling, Stumbling on Happiness. He begins the book by these eight words. The human being is the only animal that... The human being is the only animal that... And then he suggests that every, of, every one of his fellow professors, in fact, every person, ought to answer that statement, finish that line. The human being is the only animal, he finishes by saying, is the only animal that thinks about the future. Now, a young high school kid at the end of our first service today met me in the hallway and was about to go out the door, saw me, came over and said, hey, what about squirrels? <laughs> I said, well, I'm glad you were listening. Uh, I said, well, squirrels, I think, have an innate ability God gave them to simply store nuts for the winter. They don't think about it. They don't sit down and take notes about where to go. They don't have to plop. They just do what comes naturally. This particular writer suggests that we spend one out of every eight hours of every day thinking about our future. And that's probably true, that we really do. We, we plan about our future. We try to contemplate on it. There was a, while, while most of the Jews in Isaiah's day were, had, had lost their zeal for their faith, they forgot why God had called them to be a special people, while most of them were going through the formula of religion without any heart, there was a remnant, there was a small group of Jewish faithful ones who knew the promises of God would pay off. They, they knew God would fulfill his promises to his people, that somehow, in some way, God would pre, pre, prepare the way and redemption would come to the Israelite nation. They knew that. They planned for it. We have such hopes for something. But tell you, with this hope is realized in Jesus Christ, every other hope and dream you have in your life becomes less. It just does. And he provides whatever you need to get through all the disappointments of life along the way. So, a tree springs up. Now, this tree imagery is a familiar one for the Jews of Isaiah's day. Olive trees, they were accustomed to, which was important in the, the value and the economy of the day. Olive trees were a source of food and medicine and fuel. The oil from the trees, of course, was used to anoint prophets, priests, and kings. The oil of the tree was used for healing purposes. The oil represented peace and endurance and new life. New life probably because it's, it symbolizes uh, new life because olive trees were just so, uh, they were to flourish in difficult environments. It didn't take necessarily great soil for them to grow easily or they could endure uh, intense heat with a little bit of water. So new sprouts and new trees would emerge from olive stumps and, and when, the, when, the, when the roots, when the tree was cut down. So in Isaiah chapter 11, devastation comes to Assyria and Israel, God says, but a branch is going to come out of that old fallen stump, that devastation, out of the root of Jesse. Jesse's son was King David, and Jesus is out of the line of King David. This branch is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you three things about this unique tree. First of all, it's a large tree. The prophets, the prophets refer to this Messiah through and through. Isaiah begins in chapter 7 when he says, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son 
and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. In chapter 9, he says, this Messiah who's coming will be for people walking in darkness. They will see him as their great light. For on those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned, he says, at that time. So, in essence, God plants the very first Christmas tree in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. And it's a huge tree. And when Jesus came, the world has not been the same since. Socrates taught for 40 years. Plato taught for 50 years. Aristotle taught for 40 years. Jesus taught for a little over three years. But his influence transcends all of their years of teaching combined, as well as all other philosophers of all time periods. Jesus' teaching in three years has inspired great music written by Beethoven and Bach and Haydn and so many others. He has inspired great works of art by Raphael and Michelangelo and da Vinci and so many others. This tree grew to, such a large, to be such a large tree that whole cultures have imp- been impacted. Tribes and nations and people groups have, con- have continued to be reformed. Even you and I have been transformed because we have met this one whose teaching has changed our lives, and not just his teaching, but him, the very person, when he comes to live in inside us, when we welcome him to be our king. Nothing is the same when Jesus comes in as our Lord. Later in Jesus' ministry, when he was teaching about the nature of the kingdom they came to establish, he said this, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. It seems often that God's ways are so small. They're hidden. They're unassuming ways that he works. The kingdom of God, he says, is like a seed. It seems insignificant. It seems small, but it grows to be huge above all the other kingdoms of the world. It's like yeast, he would say later, that permeates the dough and causes it to rise. It's, like a, it's, it's, it's so valuable that it's like a woman who has this coin that she loses it, and she sweeps the whole house desperately to find it, and when she finds it, there's great joy. Or it's like a shepherd who loses a sheep, and he leaves 99 who are safe to go find the one that the astray. He says the kingdom of God is so different. It's so different in that unless you become like a child, you can't be in it. You have to become childlike in your ways. God likes small beginnings. He works in hidden ways because he loves the people that we are less likely to love. He loves the people who are marginalized, the people who are overlooked so often. And that way... When faith is planted in us, when we look at our own lives, you may look at your life today and think, my, my faith's not much, or my hope, I don't have much hope about anything right now. But you take that little bit of hope that you do have, and you put that hope in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and I tell you, that's all he needs to make something big grow in you, a faith that is immeasurable. A hope that becomes grander all the time. Kyle McDonald was a man in dire straits. Maybe you remember meeting him. He was, he lost his job. He was financially strapped. And so he went online and he started trading stuff. 
He started with a red paperclip. He traded the red paperclip for a fish-shaped pen. He traded the pen for a doorknob. He traded the doorknob for a Coleman stove. He traded the stove for a Budweiser sign and a keg of beer. He traded that for a snowmobile. And one year and 14 trades later, he traded a part in a Hollywood movie for a house in Saskatchewan, Canada. That's a pretty good trade, wouldn't you say? It all started with a red paperclip. Now, when you and I come to Jesus Christ, we don't have much to give. In fact, we don't have anything. And our lives can be broken and be a mess and scarred and ruined, and we can feel like a nobody. But you lay that life on the line, and you give it to him, and I tell you, he'll give you a new life and a new reason to get up in the morning. You may come to church, and you think, I don't have much to put in the offering. But you give whatever you have, and you give it in faith, trusting him, and he will, he will use that money. He'll multiply it and do bigger things than you ever thought possible. You take in a little moment this little cup and this, and this little piece of bread that doesn't by itself represent much at all until you do it in the name of Jesus for his glory, and you eat that like a feast, and I tell you, your, your faith is going to grow large. You take whatever you have today in woundedness, and the little bit you have to give, and all the sense of hopelessness you have, whatever it is that you're lacking, and you give it to him, and watch what he will do with that. That's the way, that, that's what God does. Friends, the, the only thing that we can do, the best thing we can do, is what, whoever we are, we put ourselves at the feet of Jesus. This is a large tree. Watch what he'll do in your life in a large way in regards to hope and faith and joy and love. This is also a supported tree. Now, I don't know what happened to our tree this week. I don't know why it tipped over. But I do know there were four bolts at the bottom, screws at the bottom of that, in that tree stand that had to be used in the right way for that tree to stand up. And I couldn't put two screws in thinking, well, that's good enough. There had to be plenty of support. And when you buy a tree or put your tree up, you don't lean against the wall saying, oh, I don't want to mess with the rest of it. I just let it lean against the wall. You just don't do that. It's got to be supported. In Isaiah chapter 11, our text, we have one of the support pieces uh, that, that supports the authority that's all, of Jesus that's often challenged by critics. Jesus said in John 5, 31, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. He was referring to Deuteronomy chapter 17 in the law that says when, when an accuser comes, he has to have two or three witnesses. Well, when Jesus came, he had, he had a testimony about himself. First of all, he had his works, all his signs and wonders. And they had, they're recorded for us that we may believe that he really is the son of God and that by believing we may have life in his name. That's why they are recorded for us. That's why they're eyewitnesses that record them for us. John the Baptist is another testimony about the identity of Jesus. John was called by God to make the way of, the, of, of Jesus Christ's teaching straight, to prepare people to hear him. And when he baptized Jesus, John heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love, and him I am well pleased. We also have God the Father himself who said that from heaven, giving affirmation. 
to John the Baptist and the others there when this booming voice came. Another authoritative word on the mountain when he said, this is my son, listen to him. And then we have the scriptures themselves. Through and through, they give testimony. John 5, 39, Jesus said, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. And we have more than 300 specific prophecies about the Messiah's entrance into the world, his teaching, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all fulfilled because of this one that came out of the stump of Jesse, whose son became King David. That prophecy is one that holds up the tree along with all the others. Now, that's not true of others. Some 500 years before Jesus was born, another man was born who came to be called Buddha. He had some, what he thought, good ideas. And there were others who agreed that his ideas were good ideas. And so they followed him. And then when he died, they formed a religion around him. When he came, he rose from relative obscurity... No one had predicted his coming into the world. There was no prophetic declaration about his identity. No testimony supported his tree. Some 500 years after Jesus was born, another man was born. His name is Muhammad. He had some ideas that he thought were good ideas, and there were others who agreed with him as well. But he died. He died. There, was no, there were others that thought that they should surround him and formed a religion, and so they did. He rose from relative obscurity as well. There, was, there were no prophecies about his coming into the world. There was no prophetic declaration about his identity. But when Jesus was born, he came as the fulfillment of the prophecies had been announced since, since time began in Genesis 3 verse 15. All through the Old Testament scriptures, through thousands of years and hundreds of prophecies, he was the fulfillment of all those words that had been passed down from generation to generation. And one was that he would be born of the line and the lineage of David, Jesse's son. God planted this tree. It was large. That's not why Jesus came to have a large tree, though it is. He came and he established a tree that was very well supported, and it is supported. But that's not why he came, just to fulfill prophecy. It grants stability, although that's not the major reason he came. He came as a great influence in the world. That's not why he came, simply to be influential, though he has been. He came to give hope to Israel and give hope to you and me. That we've put our faith, our love, our confidence in him. If we lay our lives down to him, we could be people of hope. A hope that will one day be a reality. A hope that would someday be our true, our true source of life. You see, friends, our, our, our political situation is never going to rescue us and make us great people. Our education system is never going to make us great our world endeavors for peace is not going to make us great. Now, all those things will accomplish some things. They'll do some good. But there will always be frustrations. There will also always be limitations. There will always be the end of time to deal with. It's only the kingdom of God that will last forever. And when you give yourself to Jesus Christ, you're in that kingdom. And any hope that you have rests in this one chief hope above all. There's something else about this tree. This tree is a fruitful tree. That verse, verse, first verse of our prophecy says that it's going to bear fruit. Now, I don't know how beautiful your tree is, but it is not going to bear fruit. 
Now, one man last service said, my tree kind of bore fruit. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we started watering it, and we had hundreds of praying mantises that started flying out of the tree. Can you imagine? I'm going to go check mine for sure today. Uh, There's not going to be fruit born on that tree, artificial or one that you picked out somewhere. It's not going to do it. But this tree that God planted in Bethlehem bore great fruit, the Messiah, the King and hope of the world. Now, those, those verses that follow describe what he's going to be like, and I wish we had time to address all that. We don't. But verses 6 to 9 again say this. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion, the yearling together. The little child will lead them to eat the, and will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, some theologians believe there's an actual day coming when all these, the prey and the prayer, are actually going to reside together in peace and that children will play with vipers. Now, I don't know if that's going to be actual reality or not, but I do know this. I do know that the Apostle Paul applied this to the age of the church where we get to live today. Verse 10 says this, And that day, that is the day when the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. That That verse is quoted by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Roman Christians when he encouraged them, saying that Gentiles, non-Jews, are going to be a part of God's great plan. What a great joy this was to those who didn't have any hope. And what, how eye-opening it was for Jews of Paul's day to realize that now God's message, his plan, was for all people, for all times and all places. What Isaiah is saying is that when Jesus comes, he's going to change people. He changes people. We could even maybe say there's some people in our lives that sometimes are like vipers in our lives. They're like wolves in our lives. They want to devour us like lions. But if Jesus Christ is permitted to touch their lives, something happens. They are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And they're able to live at peace with people, even the people that earlier they would, they would ruin in the relationships they have with them. You know, I don't know what you dream about today. I don't know what you're struggling through. I don't know what you wish for. All I know is this particular hope that we have in our Messiah, in God's Messiah, is our greatest need of all. We need hope. We need something beyond today. We need something bigger than ourselves, bigger than raising kids and bigger than our jobs and paying bills and building houses and and, and the calendars that are so demanding. We need something deeper and bigger and higher and wider, something that, that, that makes us stable and strong through all of life's passageways. And my friends, that is the person of Jesus and the hope that he brings. I am so thankful we can know him today. There's a Harvard professor in the medical school Jeremy Groupman, he wrote a book called The Anatomy of Hope. He studied several patients that are working through serious diseases. And he basically says, you know, of all the things they want, what they want more than anything is hope. Because, uh, he said, as I talk to them, they're, they're happy for a prescription, but what they want more than anything is hope for the future. And this is what he writes. He says, basically, I think hope is the ability to see a path to the future. You are facing dire circumstances, and you need to know that everything that's blocking or threatening you, and then you see a path or a potential path to get to where you want to be, 
And once you see that, there's a tremendous emotional uplift that occurs. I think hope has been, is, and always will be the heart of medicine and healing. We would not live without hope. We will come back to this profound human need to believe that there is a possibility to reach a future that is better than the one in the present. That is so true. It is so true. And to be a person of hope is the grandest truth that we'll ever be able to come to. And maybe today, again, yours seems so small. And you can be cynical and sarcastic about your life. You can be negative. I tell you, whatever brokenness you have, you give that to Jesus Christ and watch him change you into a rich person of hope. You know, what's going to happen in a couple weeks, as beautiful as your tree is, it's going back in the box or it's going to the dump, one or the other. But this tree, the one that we announced today, is one that's going to grow larger through time until he comes. It's going to get broader and more and more people are, come to, are going to come and find rest in its branches. They're going to find what a life of hope really is, a life of faith, a faith that becomes sight, a hope that one day becomes a reality. Praise God that we have a secure future in this one that came. He's the only one that can do that. Trust in him. Never walk away from him. And watch what he will do. And to give him something as small as you, as small as me, yet can do something great in those who will trust him. Today, if you are outside of Jesus Christ, we want to walk with you toward the cross of Christ and toward the resurrection of Jesus and your own resurrection. When you are baptized into Jesus, you are buried with Christ in baptism and you are resurrected to a brand new life. It's all because of the blood of Jesus. Our hope is in that tree. Out of that stump came a root and he is worth worshiping. Let's stand and do that right now.